speaking, it was done. Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The people we appreciate, the people we aspire to be like, those people we want to be around, typically those who do good things, we want to be around them. We like them, at least in our own minds. The people that are on our team, we typically consider as the good guys, those who do good things. But let us not forget that for everyone that is on our good side, those who we aspire to be like, those who we want to be around, those who do good things, on the other side are those who we do not appreciate. We have those who we do not want to be like, those who we do not want to be around. Now, we do not like to admit it, but deep down, yeah, deep down, deep down, we hate certain people. Let's just be honest, we certainly do. We complain about these people at the coffee shops while we post against them on social media, at least passive-aggressively. And then in the voting box, we definitely vote against those that we hate in the voting box. And we gossip on the phone about those that we hate. For the sake of this sermon, we really don't need to mention exactly who they are, who these people are. 
Instead, we just simply need to admit that we all have enemies, enemies that we dislike, people different from us, those we despise. Take our parable from the reading in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Jesus mentions a Samaritan. Now, in America, we tend to think warm, fuzzy thoughts when it comes to that good old Samaritan. Because there's so many ministries named after the Good Samaritan. There's many hospitals and nursing homes named after the Good Samaritan. However, we must keep in mind that during the first century, Samaritans, they were actually hated by the Jews. They were wicked foreigners, according to the Jews. In fact, they were viewed as half-breeds, both spiritually and physically. They were secondary. They were beneath the average Jewish person and certainly way beneath the prestigious Levites of the day and the priests. Get this, to be called a Samaritan was an insult, practically a cuss word, you Samaritan. And so when Jesus tells the story of a poor man being stripped, beaten up, and left for dead by robbers, one would think that a prestigious Levite or perhaps a holy priest would be the one to come to the rescue, one to be the hero. But no, my friends, this is not how Jesus tells the story. You see, the hero in the story is not a Levite, it is not a priest or even a popular Pharisee of the day, but the hero, get this, a half-breed, wicked Samaritan. Can you imagine? Just consider a moment. Can you imagine how the Jewish people reacted when they heard Jesus tell the story and then get to that punchline that the Samaritan is the hero? Can you imagine them twitching and and, and just shaking and maybe gagging within when they heard that it was a Samaritan that truly loved, the only one to truly love that day in that story that Jesus told? So what was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing in this text by telling this story? other than obviously offending a bunch of people, which he certainly did. Well, it's quite simple. Jesus was showing, and he showed the Jewish people, and a particular lawyer that day, he showed that particular lawyer that day, that love is not somehow confined to a political boundary, or that love is somehow captive to an ethnic tribe. He showed a particular lawyer that day, that he did not have a monopoly on love just because he was on the so-called good team, a Jewish lawyer. This parable was problematic for the Jews, and it irritated that lawyer most certainly. Now, as we consider this parable for us here today, for ourselves too, we come to realize that this parable is problematic. I said in the first service, I really don't like this parable. You see, truth be told, Matt Richard... I certainly have no problem celebrating the love shown by those in my own tribal group, those who are on my team. When I see love conducted among the members of of St. Paul's, I rejoice. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy, satisfied. But when someone I hate does a good work, get this, it actually makes me mad. It makes me mad when those I hate do good things. And the reason why? Here's the reason why. Here's the catch. You and I have this notion to believe that only we good guys do good things and bad guys, they only do bad things. You see, we're really messed up with all of this right now in our society. 
Right now, right here, 2021, we've really messed this up. We look at people across the aisle from us, people we dislike, people we hate, and without even thinking about it, we call them a Samaritan. You dirty Samaritan. We lessen their humanity. We think of them as subhuman. We conjure up hate for, for them within. And in the end, if they do something good as that Samaritan did, well, we can hardly acknowledge it. It irritates us. It bothers us. It's actually like nails on a chalkboard. Nails on a chalkboard for us to even admit when our enemies do something well. For we have spent so much time and so much energy making them out to be evil monsters. That particular lawyer that day in our gospel reading, when he, asked, when he was asked by Jesus, who showed the beat-up man mercy? Get this, that lawyer, he couldn't even say that Samaritan. He could only say, and I imagine mumbling, the one who had mercy on him. And so we are quite pathetic when we draw a line in the sand and then we allocate all goodness, all righteousness, and all love to our little tribes on our side of the line while ascribing all evil, ascribing all evil and hate and scorn to others different from us on the other side of the line. At the root of this kind of thinking, really what's going on, at the root of this kind of thinking is what we call self-righteousness. It is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness in us and self-righteousness on those on the other side of the line. Frankly, humanity, we all like to think that we are better than everyone else and that God is pretty lucky to have us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, you. Lord, have mercy on our neighbors as well. About three years ago, we studied in the Sunday morning Bible study the book of Ecclesiastes. It was a great study, great time. And one of the many things that we learned from Ecclesiastes is that when we deny not only the fallen nature of this world, but when we deny our own sinful nature, we end up not only living in a delusion, but we prop ourselves up with self-righteousness, with self-righteous delusions of our greatness while snubbing our nose at everybody else beneath us. But on the other hand, we learned... When we come to terms with the reality that this life has fallen and that all of mankind, that every single one of us has a sinful old Adam, including us Christians as well, well, then we anticipate that sinful people will do sinful things. That is to say, when we live in the reality that all of us are dragging our feet through the muck of sin in this life, it is hard to fly off the handle over sinful words and actions that we come to expect in this life in this veil of tears. And so, dear friends, the more we realize that we are sinners who are totally inadequate before God, just like everyone else around us, it helps us replace our anger and our self-righteous attitudes with empathy for those we formerly hate. I'm not speaking about condoning or supporting sin. I'm simply talking about empathy, understanding that we're in this together. A Lutheran theologian once said exactly that. He said, an attitude that conveys we're all in this together goes a long way underneath the grace of God. End quote. You see, that particular lawyer that day, that one day, he thought he was pretty hot stuff. And Jesus told a story of a dirty, rotten, half-breed Samaritan who rose above centuries of bigotry and prejudice. And so that parable was meant to knock that lawyer off his religious pedestal to knock him flat on his face in repentance. 
And dear friends, the Lord does the same to us today as we consider this parable. He does that to you and me right now. You see, the good works that you do do not originate or belong with you. Before God, you do not have some sort of moral high ground over anyone else in society because of your own strength, your own intellect, your own abilities. Good works that are prepared, well, they're prepared in advance for you to walk in. You don't conjure them up. The Lord prepares them, and you simply walk in them. It's that simple. And you can't take credit for them. And the good fruit that you produce, well, it's not produced by you. It's produced by the Holy Spirit, and you simply bear it as a gift. And so, we all need to knock it off. We must repent. Repent one and all. We are poor, miserable sinners left for dead, each and every one of us. We're left for dead in the ditch of sin. Not a single one of us is righteous in this world. None of us are special by our own strength and power. We're not special because of our own group, our own pedigree, our ethnicity, or our tribe. Now, we should perhaps end the sermon right here and right now because Jesus does not speak the gospel to a particular lawyer that one day when he told this parable. Perhaps the law should do its work on us today and this whole week so that maybe we come back to church next week clawing, clawing for the gospel, crying out for the gospel. However, though, I'm going to trust that the law has done its work to us today that has ground us down to the fine powders of repentance and then has prepared us to hear the gospel. And so what is that gospel that we need to hear? It's quite simple. It's quite simple and good. You have one that is greater than a good Samaritan. Yes, you do. You see, Jesus did not just bind your wounds, pour oil on you, and care for you at a Motel 6. He did not just happen to notice you, happen to notice you in the ditch of sin when he was passing by going to some dinner party. No, instead, he knows that you and I cannot contribute to our forgiveness. He knows that we cannot contribute to life and salvation. He knows that our tanks are empty on righteousness. And so he gives forgiveness to you and me as a sheer gift. He gives us righteousness. No strings attached. All is finished. All of it is complete. Gift to you and to me. Sheer gift. You see, Jesus does not do this by merely pulling you out of a ditch of sin, giving you a little, a little hand in this life, a little pep talk to move along. No, it's quite the opposite. You see, your Christ, he pulls you deeply into death. Indeed, he pulls you deeply into death. His death through your baptisms, baptizing you into his death. He sinks you not into a ditch, but he sinks you into his cross through baptism. And then in baptism, get this, you are resurrected in faith with perfect righteousness. You're given the goodness of Jesus. You're given the goodness of Jesus so you don't have to ask silly questions like that particular lawyer did that day. You're given the goodness of Jesus so that you have perfect righteousness, so you don't have to waste a bunch of time in this life propping up your own self-righteousness or comparing with others or boasting about your religious games that you play. And so, when it comes to righteousness, you are in Christ. No need to boast in yourself. You're in Christ, no need to fear. You're in Christ, no need to compare with others. You're in Christ, there is no lines. There are no lines in the sand. It is just simply Jesus for you. It's Christ, period. Jesus for you, Jesus for your neighbor. Jesus, your righteousness.
So dear baptized saints, rise up, beat your chests in repentance, confess boldly, and yet stand boldly in Christ. You are baptized, and you have a righteousness, not of yourself, but a righteousness that clothes you like a wondrous robe, the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus and him alone. In the name of the righteous one given to you, Jesus Christ, amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more access to full manuscript interviews, Pastor Matthew 